Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. Number 28. Henry John Temple. Viscount Palmerston, the Victorian Patriot. Hello everyone and welcome to Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. This week's Prime Minister is right from the middle of the Victorian era and he's been a particularly interesting Prime Minister to research for the very fact that I hadn't really heard of him. And then on doing the research, it turns out he was in office for 10 years during the very height of the Victorian era. He's been called the most popular Prime Minister ever. And yet, at least in my experience, he doesn't seem to be one of the more famous Prime Ministers. In this episode, we'll examine why that might be the case. Before we get started, a quick reminder for any new listeners that this is Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, where we literally pick a Prime Minister at random and then ask a series of questions such as what were they like, how did they get into office, what were their main achievements and why did they leave office. So if that sounds interesting to you, please do subscribe before you move on. And we've also created many episodes already which will be available on your podcast provider or on longhistory.net, our website. Right, let's get to it with our latest episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 28, Henry John Temple, Viscount Palmerston. He was in power between 1855 and 1858, and then he was in the top job again between 1859 and 1865. What has become clear in our series of Random UK Prime Ministers of the Week is that looking at someone just through the lens of their time as Prime Minister is often not enough, and this is particularly the case with Henry John Temple, Viscount Palmerston, who was already 70 when he reached the top job, meaning that he'd had a whole life behind him. His two times in office as Prime Minister can, therefore, be seen as the way things should turn out in political life, indeed in life in general. Temple became Prime Minister right at the end of his life, so this became a high point after a very long period in politics, the ultimate peak of a long political career, followed by around a decade in office as Prime Minister, only ending with the death of the man himself, just after winning another election with an increased majority. It sounds like a story you could barely make up, but this is what happened to Viscount Palmerston, who we'll call Henry John Temple throughout this episode. Here at Long History, as we cover more of the Victorian Prime Ministers, the question of who was the most Victorian Prime Minister arises. We've only actually covered three so far, including William Lamb, also known as Viscount Melbourne, who was Victoria's first Prime Minister and very much a man of a former age, so he was more Georgian than Victorian. We've also looked at William Gladstone. He was a member of the same political party as Temple. But Gladstone had a sort of fiery, righteous superiority that perhaps epitomises a later Victorian. Temple, in the meantime, was a, a different kind of Victorian. Something of an immovable object and a ceaseless hard worker like Gladstone but in contrast to this slightly dour man, Temple lived a very colourful life and enjoyed his romantic liaisons. So with Temple, we're around 20 years into the Victorian age. And as always, I insert a clause saying that I'm not an expert here, but this appears to be the very peak of the British Empire. And Palmerston liked to be explicitly patriotic, and he had an ability to wield this patriotic populism to help increase his popularity. This was a man who saw the importance of being popular, 
even before any member of the working class, for example, had the ability to vote. Temple's more or less ten years in office reads, with hindsight, almost like a greatest hits of the Victorian era's historic events. We have Victoria herself in place, of course, the peak of the British Empire, but we also have the Crimean War, the Second Opium War, the issue of voting reform in the UK itself, and the notorious Indian Mutiny. They were all issues during Temple's time in office. What was Temple like? Well, sometimes it's difficult to glean much personality in the research about Prime Ministers. Temple, however, is the opposite. He's been called, as we've said, the most popular Prime Minister ever. This was bolstered by his being a wartime Prime Minister. He entered office just as the Crimean War was at its peak. Not unlike other wartime Prime Ministers such as Lloyd George and Winston Churchill. Another famous figure from the era, Florence Nightingale, worked during that Crimean War and she made an interesting description of Temple, saying that he would often make a joke whilst actually doing the right thing, in this way undercutting the significance of what he was doing, making what he did seem less good and less consequential. It's a kind of genial modesty that perhaps describes the best of a British personality, shall we say, when viewed in the very best light, of course. There's always another side to the coin and such a jovial approach can mask poor behaviour and bad decisions, for example. And this was a man who people definitely had opinions about. Although he was popular with the general public, he wasn't quite so popular with his own colleagues. His self-assuredness meant that he arrived when he wanted to arrive. And he treated people how he wanted to treat them. And this independent-mindedness was what made him stand out and it was also what made him popular with the public. It meant that he was seen as a bit of an outsider, but that, in turn, contributed to the reasons why he didn't reach the top job until late in life, and we'll look at that in more detail later. In the meantime, he married late in life, at the age of 53 or 54, and had no children. He had a reputation as a bit of a womaniser, but this marriage appears to have been another factor that meant he was able to become Prime Minister showing that he was maturing and settling down. What was the historical background? So here we're talking about 1855 to 1865, and this was the peak of the British Empire, as we've said, but what did that look like? Well, it's impossible to summarise, of course, but at this time, there was a particular view of the British Empire, which included Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and of course India, But it was before, for example, the so-called Scramble for Africa, when Africans saw their continent divided up by European powers. This peak of the British Empire is exemplified by two not entirely auspicious events from Temple's time in office. The Indian Mutiny of the late 1850s, which has also been known as India's first war of independence, began over a lapse of cultural sensitivity involving the use of animal fat in weapons, sacrilegious to both Muslims and Hindus. The mutiny itself was a reaction to the increasing spread of British power and influence in the continent, but the consequences of that mutiny involved a brutal reaction by the British, and then the British taking direct control of India from the East India Company. This is a controversial issue even now, but in the context of the domestic politics of the time, Temple managed the issue in a way which increased his popularity with the UK's general public. 
he shadowed the British public's mood on the issue, initially celebrating the putting down of an attempt to overwhelm the British, then shifting the blame for this brutal British reaction onto the East India Company, using this in turn as a reason to take direct British control over India. Of course, all this is very controversial, but one view of the result at the time is that the British increased their power and as a result, Temple increased his popularity. The Second Opium War also took place during these years. This began around the area of Hong Kong, starting as an imperial tussle over the perceived disrespecting of the British flag, which led to the eventual burning of Beijing's Summer Palace, as the Europeans attempted to put the Chinese Qing Dynasty in its place. And again, this rather disagreeable conflict was at the time seen as Britain standing up for itself. So again, this increased the Prime Minister's popularity. Another conflict was the Crimean War, which we'll look at in a little more detail when we look at how Temple became Prime Minister. The United Kingdom at the time. Temple, like Gladstone for example, did not get on with Queen Victoria, who viewed him as slightly untrustworthy, perhaps reflecting that independent spirit of his. It's worth mentioning that as well as being the Victorian era, this was also the Dickensian era, with Charles Dickens publishing two of his best-known works during these years, A Tale of Two Cities and Great Expectations. And although Temple was popular with the general public, this was always due to his decisiveness during international disputes. However, back at home his views weren't quite so palatable. The public liked him, but he didn't really seem to have much of an opinion about the public. We'll look at this in a bit more detail in the section on who could vote. The United States at the time. Well, this was a crucial moment for the United States as Temple's time in office overlapped with the American Civil War, which would also be hugely consequential for British industry. And this led to Temple's rather surprising support for the breakaway Confederate states in the South. This again isn't for good reasons really, he believed that the breakup of the United States would strengthen British power in the world. More generally, the British tried to be studiedly neutral on the issue, not for the first time waiting to see what happened, whilst in the meantime sending troops to Canada just in case the war spread north across the border. Who could vote? In every episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, we like to ask who could vote in order to trace the development of democracy in the country. And it is notable that Temple didn't support the reforms that would lead to the working class eventually and finally getting the vote in 1867. And even that only involved working class men, of course, not women. This meant that when Temple became Prime Minister, only men with property could vote, including aristocrats, the landed gentry and members of the middle class. Palmerston actually won three general elections in 1857, 59 and 65. In the middle of that, however, in 1858, he was forced to resign as Prime Minister after losing a controversial vote. The Conservatives briefly took over, forming a minority government, and in response the opposition parties then came together. This new grouping combined the Whigs, an offshoot of the Tories called the Peelites, and a group called the Radicals, along with an independent Irish grouping. Now together this new grouping would become known as the Liberal Party, which would go on to win the next election in 1859, and then to become the main party in politics alongside the Conservatives, until the very end of the First World War. 
So, although the working class didn't get the vote during Temple's time, big changes were afoot, and the whole structure of politics was changing. And although things were evolving and Temple was the first liberal prime minister technically, really the party wouldn't coalesce into a coherent entity until Gladstone became its leader in 1867. What was Temple's background? He was born in the late 1700s, just after the United States declared its independence, his birthday being the 20th of October 1784. His title was actually an Irish title, although he rarely visited the place himself. And while we're touching this topic, it's worth mentioning that he even evicted 2,000 of his tenants from lands in Ireland and funded the emigration of some Irish to the US. He was a cultured man, however, he spoke French and Italian and was educated at Harrow School, along with the University of Edinburgh and Cambridge University. And actually, in the context of most prime ministers of the time, this is as near as it got to an unconventional educational background. If you didn't go to Eton School and Oxford University, you were pretty much unconventional. He gained his title, Viscount Palmerston, when his father died in 1802. He entered Parliament in the first decade of the 1800s at the age of 23. He began as a Tory who would evolve into the Conservatives, but then evolved over to the other side of politics, becoming this leader of the Liberal Party, as we've stated. So he was quite an independent spirit, who served as Secretary of War for nine years and then Foreign Secretary for 11 years. That was between 1830 and 1841. And then he entered the office again from 1846 to 1851 for another five years. So Temple's principal experience was in the Foreign Office. However, in 1852, he was removed from his role as Foreign Secretary. But this was something that turned out to be a stroke of luck. He was moved into the Home Office before the big international dispute of the Crimean War broke out, which meant that he could not be blamed for the early days of the war, and yet could step in later and be seen to save the day, as we'll look at in the next section. So how did Temple become Prime Minister? Right at the beginning of 1855, Temple's predecessor, George Hamilton Gordon, the Earl of Aberdeen, was ousted in a vote of no confidence in Parliament. This vote gave MPs the opportunity to say whether or not they approved of Hamilton Gordon's dealings in the Crimean War, which had been underway since October 1853. The result was his removal from office. Even then, Temple wasn't the first choice as his replacement, but after others turned down the role during negotiations, or just rejected the offer, Temple was offered the role. So why at this point was Temple offered the job? As we've mentioned, despite Temple's long experience, he'd not achieved the top job previously because of that independent spirit of his. It meant he wasn't quite trusted by his colleagues. And as a rule, we could say that in normal times, a more collegiate chap was preferred for the role at this point in history, and possibly still today, actually. However, there is one notable exception to that rule, and that is the type of leader required when times are not normal, and in particular in times of war. This independent spirit made Temple stand out, and this was what was needed during a time of war. A character, a leader, traits he shared with another famous war leader, Winston Churchill. So it seems that at times of need, the establishment reaches out to these types of individuals, rather than those collegiate types. 
What had been Temple's perceived weakness, therefore, became his strength. And moreover, the Crimean War ended one year after Temple became Prime Minister. He avoided being saddled with the worst of the early days of the war, and then came into office making hardline gestures at a time when the other combatants, who actually had more troops in play, were exhausted and wanted peace. So Temple was ultimately able to take some credit for the conflict reaching its end during his watch. What were Temple's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? This is a complicated question in this context. There is one point of view, what did he achieve during his time in office? And there's a completely different point of view of what did he do in retrospect, looking back from the present day. Because this was a Prime Minister at the height of the British Empire, which means that there were many dubious episodes amidst Temple's sometimes rather convenient patriotism. There's one consequence of his time in office that we haven't mentioned so far, however, is that there are lots of places named after him. Perhaps most significantly, the city of Palmerston North in New Zealand. We've already mentioned the main wars and mutinies that took place during his watch, adding into it also the problematic dealings with the Irish and indeed the working class, who seemed to adore him even though he didn't want to give them the vote. So these and many other issues, of course, but we can see that he was right at the centre of things, right at the peak of the British Empire. And what's more, he was very popular. And he does seem to have been one of the very first Prime Ministers to see the power of popular approval. Not least by getting the media on side, particularly by writing his own articles for the newspapers. So we will discuss his achievements a little more in the final section of this episode. Why did Temple stop being Prime Minister? Well, this is quite a short one because Temple is one of the seven Prime Ministers to die in office. One of them was assassinated and others died of illness or old age. But none, certainly of the ones we've looked at so far, died at such a novelistically splendid and fitting point in his life, shall we say. Younger men have been sicklier whilst in office but Temple always appeared to be in robust health well into his old age. He'd even won a general election with an increased majority just a year before his death, as we stated, until he fell ill just before his 81st birthday and died five days later. He was replaced by John Russell for what will be his second time as Prime Minister. Why should we remember Henry John Temple? Unlike a number of the Prime Ministers we've looked at here on Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, Temple seemed to enjoy politics. Moreover, he seemed to enjoy it as something of a sport and a game. If he isn't more famous now, it's perhaps because, although he had many achievements over his career, there's no single achievement we can hand him. And especially because he was a contradictory and interesting man rather than some monolithic political exemplar. And really... This particular time in history still hasn't been fully digested, and there are highly contrasting opinions about the events that took place during his time in office, not least the Indian Mutiny and the Second Opium War, which gave Temple the opportunity to appeal to a hit of short-term patriotism, but which over the long term reveal many unpalatable elements of the British Empire. The Crimean War ended under his watch, so he has to take some of the credit for it, but it wasn't an existential war like Churchill's Second World War, or even like Lloyd George's First World War. As a Prime Minister during a time of war, however, he does fit into that category of the war leader, and can be seen very much as an early iteration of a Churchillian figure, 
He was a man of opinions and actions, someone who could get things done, who outshone the less decisive, the less able and the more mundane men around him. Now there are many further footnotes I could add. In international terms he supported Belgium's independence in the 1830s and was a big supporter of Italian independence during his premiership. As we've said, he was the first Liberal Prime Minister and he was actually the oldest man to enter office for the first time as Prime Minister. As Home Secretary he made it illegal for children to work at night. And the list could go on. So as we can say, Henry John Temple's time in office was very consequential and not just in the UK, but across the world. And it's worth noting that he managed all that and remained popular at home. Thank you for listening to this episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. The same caveats apply, this is just a quick introduction to Henry John Temple, Viscount Palmerston, in the hope it whets your appetite to do your own research. And in looking at this man you very much get a history of the whole of the 1800s in the UK, up to his death and beyond even. I hope that was interesting and if so please do give it a like before you move on and please share the episode with anyone who might be interested. Don't forget to subscribe or follow Long History for more episodes like this. And above all thank you for listening to Random UK Prime Minister of the Week number 28 Henry John Temple Viscount Palmerston The Victorian Patriot Goodbye